Hey, welcome to the State of Maine podcast. I am your host, Michael Spath. Joining me here today while uh, Justin Rowe is off, I think, skiing, maybe. I mean, who goes who goes skiing in late March, Brandon? Uh, because like I, I had this I had this debate with, with Justin. I'm like, in late March, when it's getting nice out, and here in Michigan, it's like 65 and sunny, you don't go chasing winter. So I don't know about you, I'm joined by Brandon Brown of Wolverine Digest, the publisher, and, and I just gave Justin so much crap about that. Yeah, that seems weird. This is like when you go, you go the other way, right? Like, like we're going to Florida next week to try to get some warmth a little bit ahead of it. I mean, it's, yeah, it's starting to warm up and get nice, but dude, we just had like five months of that cold and stuff that you couldn't fit any skiing in during, uh, during those months. I don't know. That seems strange. Where did he go? And if he went to like a really cool spot, like you maybe let him slide a little okay, bit. Okay. He went to Colorado. He did yeah, go to Colorado. That's, so that's what I would think. Like, I don't know if he went to Vail or Aspen or Park City, which I think is in Utah, actually. I'm not much of an outdoor winter person. I'm not a skier. I'm not a, a snowboarder like he is. So I, I, I've never been to those places. So, um, you know, he said it was, he said it was awesome, but yeah, he's been a little bit MIA, um, during this uh, opening weekend of the NCAA tournament. And, and we are recording this podcast the day after a gigantic victory for Michigan basketball, um, beating LSU. I don't want to say that no one saw this coming, but the way that the big 10 was playing, I think it was certainly, uh, you know, acceptable that a lot of people were going like, man, the big 10 is just not very good this year. Um, thus, you know, I even kind of had this thought that maybe Michigan uh, isn't that good this year um, if, if the whole conference is down. But, you know, Michigan didn't, didn't listen to any of that talk. They went out there and they played. And, and Brandon, here's the thing too. Is I thought this was maybe the best game of the tournament so far. Not the best upset, not the most dramatic, but just in terms of like play, back and forth. And it reminded me of the Michigan-Ohio State regular season game. The final score is 86-78. And I mean, it was, it was the first half, especially it was what, 42-40. I mean, trading blows. Um, a lot of offense, not a lot of defense at first. Michigan had changed that up. But to get to the Sweet 16, the only one of nine Big Ten teams that made it to the NCAA tournament that is going to the Sweet 16. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. I mean, and you know, it's like, like you just said, some of them were, I mean, pretty bad upsets obviously oral roberts over ohio state comes to mind immediately but purdue losing in the first round um yeah it just not a good look not a good look i mean i'm not one of these people who really cares much about the conference performance thing i really i, I just i was talking to my dad about this when we were we were talking about the tournament and what michigan was going to maybe do against the lsu and how that would look and i said you know anytime a team in michigan's conference does really really well that's kind of like bad for Michigan on most fronts. Like when you talk about recruiting and you know what that program can then say about Michigan, it's, it's, the, it's true in both football and basketball. When, when someone, one of Michigan's rivals or one of their you know, main opponents in the conference is doing better than they are on a lot of levels, that's not good. So, I, I mean, yeah, there's, there's a little bit of pride when it's like, you know, teams you've watched all year. And obviously you and I watch more big 10 basketball than anything else. You, you're kind of surprised and maybe like, why is this happening? But I, I don't know. I don't, I don't really get caught up in the narrative of like, man, the big 10 is a fraud. Like, I don't think that's the case. And I really don't care that, that the other teams didn't win. I just don't think it's that big of a deal. And you know, Hey, if one team's going to, if one team is going to carry the torch, so to speak, then why not have it be Michigan and have them shine shine brighter than everybody else. I mean, that's, you know, for, for someone who covers them versus all of the other teams, I'm, I couldn't be happier. Well, I, I really enjoy mocking Michigan State. I really enjoy mocking Ohio State. And damn, 
has everybody become a big fan of Mark in Illinois this year. Yeah. Uh, you know, Brandon, you and I were talking about this. I had a tweet out yesterday. Uh, I don't know if you saw this, but I made fun of uh, Illinois. And, and in the backstory here is Illinois, you know, towards the end of the regular season, they realized that they weren't going to, even by beating Michigan, they weren't going to, uh, you know, win the Big Ten because Michigan had a, a better uh, winning percentage overall. Um, they did play a few, a, a, a couple fewer games because of the COVID pause. Um, and so they started saying like, well, we should be the big co-Big Ten champions and we we deserve this. And Brad Underwood, the head coach, was complaining that Michigan didn't play all the games, despite the fact that the games that they didn't play were Northwestern, Penn State, and Nebraska, like the three worst teams in the league. And so everybody's been making fun of Illinois. And I tweeted this yesterday after the game. Meanwhile, in Champaign, Illinois is claiming Michigan's sweet 16 birth. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, 2,700 people have liked it so far. <laughs> and it, it's just going to show you that like all of Michigan Nation has rallied around two things. Jawan Howard in this program and absolutely destroying any time that they can Illinois basketball. Yeah, I had a similar tweet, and so did everybody in the whole Michigan. So it's not like we were exactly geniuses for coming up with this, but your point is is relevant. The people are people are loving this this you know spur of the moment, if you will, rivalry with Illinois. Like rival, like Illinois hasn't really been that good for you know a while. Like this was their first tournament tournament appearance in was it seven or eight years or something like that? 2013 or 14, I think. So they haven't been very good. And they, they, you know, started bumping their gums a little bit and Brad Underwood was doing this. And apparently the AD wrote a letter. And I mean, it's just, it was just kind of nonsense, especially when, you know, it was, it was agreed upon by everybody before the season started that it was going to be win percentage. You can't just after the fact start to try to change the rules because it fits what you did better. Like it doesn't work that way in anything. And I know, Everybody says, well, they did that with Ohio State in football. And I, there, there were some Illinois, Illinois people making some points that you could kind of see where they were coming from. But at the end of the day, you know, Michigan won the Big Ten and should have and, and did. And now it looks like that was the right decision because they're the only team left standing. So, yeah, it's been it's been funny to see how Illinois has like for for, for the time being seemed to be the, uh, you know, the, the target even more so than Ohio State, and Michigan State, who lost you know, even earlier. Grant, what I was, what, what I think about when you win that game yesterday and Michigan was with the third to last um, game to be played in the opening weekend, if you can call a Monday night, the opening weekend of March madness. Uh, and so you had to wait a little while, but once they won it, I don't know about you, but there's a, this euphoric feeling that just kind of sits with you for the next six days um, until they play again on Sunday against Florida state. And for me, it's that's the, the great part of making the Sweet 16 is there's so much expectation, there's, there's so much hope. And for at least like one more week, you get to just sit back and enjoy it. And all the possibilities remain, all the hope remains. You know that there's uh, what, there's 64 teams, so 48 of them are, are out of the tournament and their season is ended. And you just get to like kind of bask in this, this as I said, this euphoric glow. Um, and I was talking to my brother this morning and on our drive to work, and I was like, hey, how are things going? Uh, and he's like, I feel amazing. I absolutely feel amazing. He's like, I woke up at 6.15. My kids woke me up early, but I feel amazing. And he's yeah. like, how are you doing? I'm like, I'm driving to work right now. There's a car accident, and I'm stuck in traffic. I feel great. I love it. Like, it's perfect. And, and we just both started laughing. Like, how much better the air, uh, you know, the, the how good the oxygen feels. The, the sandwich that you have is, like, the best sandwich <laughs> you've had. The water taken. Everything just is better. 
after this after a victory like that. It's it's crazy. I mean, it's the Sweet 16. We obviously know that means there are 16 teams left, but you write them down on paper or you see the list and you're like, one of those teams is the national champion and Michigan's still in there. That's a really cool feeling. I mean, like you said, that's the the large majority of the teams in the country aren't, aren't saying that at this point on this, you know, as the, yeah, it feels weird that it's Tuesday. It seems like it should be a Monday with the season or with the uh, first, second, first and second round just finishing up last night. But yeah, it's, it's cool. It's really cool. Amazing for Juwan Howard. Awesome for those guys that are, you know, lacing them up. Still crappy for Isaiah Livers. Really hope that dude can get back out there. But we've talked about this quite a few times. I just, I can't imagine if he comes back and plays in the sweet 16, like, I mean, that would be awesome for him just to get a taste of it. We don't know what that would mean in terms of how much he could give or what, you know, percentage, you know, they always put percentages on guys, what he would be able to play at, how many minutes, if it's even possible, if it's even possible at all, at all. But yeah, it's, it's cool. Um, I was just thinking about when, before the game started last night in terms, both in terms of work and just in terms of being a consumer of the sport, like, dude, if Michigan loses tonight, like what the hell, like what, what am I going to do? What am I going to watch? What am I going to look forward to? What, what kind of content am I going to create? Like what's going to happen and don't have to worry about it yet. Not, mm-hmm. not for at least another week. And that's a cool feeling. And, and yeah, really excited about another matchup that looks like Michigan can win if they, if they play well. I mean, I think Florida state's actually, pretty similar to LSU long athletic guys, a little inconsistent here and there. So we'll see, man, we'll see how they do next weekend. Well, we'll, we'll come back and talk about this uh, Michigan LSU game in depth, but um, I do want to talk some spring football here in a, in a second. Uh, Brandon, um, I, I will say uh, I'm in Ann Arbor today. And, you know, one of the things I'm looking forward to is I've got a couple of uh, outdoor meetings, perfect day for this and the perfect place to go Wolverine state brewing company. Uh, just, just checking out. They've got some new hours on their website, uh, wolverinebeer.com. Uh, they've got some new food specials um, on their website right now. And, you know, looking at it, uh, the brew house smoked mac. Um, I don't know about you, Brandon, I'm a huge macaroni and cheese fan. Uh, and they've got four different kinds of cheese. Plus, you can top it with either house smoked pulled pork, barbecue chicken, or brisket for an additional five bucks. Uh, they've also got the barbecue chicken cob club. Uh, sliced barbecue chicken breast, double smoked bacon, cheddar cheese, lettuce, tomato, sliced avocado, uh, over easy egg, and a ranch aioli on a grilled ciabatta roll. I mean, take me to heaven right now. Dude, I'm so hungry right now, dude. You're, you're killing me, Spath. You're killing me. Well, and they've got a lot of great beers that you can choose from. Um, there are Harvest Deluxes out. The Dew, the White Russian-inspired White Stout with coffee, vanilla, and chocolate. Uh, a lot of uh, German beers, our German-inspired beers are out right now, including the uh, West Side Wheat uh, and their German Pilsner. A uh, number of ciders, the Wolverine Bach. Um, as always, they've got the Gulo Gulo IPL and their uh, Wolverine Lager. And they've got a Wolverine Dark Lager right now, too. So you can check it out at wolverinebeer.com. Uh, Perfect day today and tomorrow, Tuesday and Wednesday, here in uh, Southeast Michigan to uh, enjoy some um, opportunities. You're going down to Florida here in a little bit. Please be safe. I know it's the wild, wild west down there. Um, but just, you know, you got, you got a child to come home to, you've got like, you know, Michigan to come home to here. We're getting close. Yeah. We're almost through this thing. Just don't ruin it for us, Brandon. I know. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm a little leery about it. My wife has been vaccinated, so that's cool for her. Um, you know, she works in a school, so she was able to get that done. And, yeah, I'm a little leery about it. The travel, just being around, you know, more people than I'm, I'm used to. But yeah, I mean, we're 
it's it's uh it's it's kate's spring break and she's just she needs a break i mean it's you know it's been obviously stuff has been stressful for everybody but she's in a school every day with a bunch of kids and parents and you know she she's earned a break so we're excited to go down there we're leaving the little guy man i know this i've talked to you about this we're leaving sullivan with my parents for six days and i'm a little leery about that as well but uh yeah looking forward to it looking forward to getting some sunshine down there hopefully i don't get burnt too bad and then you know, we'll get, hopefully Michigan's still playing. I mean, that's another thing I've been thinking about. I'm like, dang, this isn't exactly the best timing if Michigan keeps it rolling, but uh, we'll see how that goes. And yeah, we, we head out a week from today. I think you'll be able to find a, a sports bar yeah. too, that will have the Michigan game on. I wouldn't worry about that, Brandon. Yeah. So, um, well, Brandon, let's, let's pivot a little bit. We'll come back to the Michigan LSU basketball game here uh, towards the end of the podcast, but I do want to talk uh, spring football. Uh, later on this week is Michigan's pro day, you know, Jalen Mayfield, Ambry Thomas, Nico Collins, a uh, number of guys participating. I, I didn't name them all. Ben Mason uh, participating in the, uh, the, the pro day. Um, I continue to read uh, on all the mock drafts. Uh, they have Quiddy pay going in the first round. A lot of them have Jalen Mayfield uh, going in the first round. Um, two guys that uh, should hear their, hear their name called um, pretty early on. So, you know, congratulations to those guys. They worked hard. Quiddy pay, especially, uh, to come out of nowhere. I mean, he was a three-star recruit. There wasn't really much, you know, hype about him. Uh, and now he's considered one of the best uh, pass rushers um, in this uh, in this NFL draft. Um, other than that, there really hasn't been a lot of football talk uh, from Ann Arbor. And I'm sure that's exactly how Jim Harbaugh wants it. He can be in his submarine. Uh, there's been, you know, no access to, to practice. Uh, there never is. There's... Brandon, I've asked you about this because you cover the team on a more daily basis than I do. I don't think there's any plan right now to their final spring practice to have it televised, to put it on Big Ten Network or anything like that. Like, I think their plan is to go through all 15 spring practices, be completely closed off from the media, be completely closed off from the public, and then no one's going to get a glimpse of them until next September. Um, You know, no idea how the quarterbacks are progressing. You hear a little bit of inside information here and there. Uh, but not really that much because I think what you're finding too is is a number of insiders are all like ah, we don't want to we don't really want to get into telling who you who's hyped up because they everybody's getting burned on this stuff uh, you know I mean my, our former colleague at the Wolverine Chris Ballas who who always has stuff about Michigan football and I'm reading his his comments and they're all tempered they're all like well you know Cade McNamara is having a good camp but. Um, or J.J. McCarthy is doing some nice things, but um, there's a lot more buts uh, seemingly this year because people don't want to build this program up to be something that they might not be. That's run its course. I mean, that's the only way I can I can put it. I mean, you and I have been a little bit more outspoken than most uh, in terms of what we think of what Jim Harbaugh has done or not done, I should say. And yeah, I mean, it's the same argument I've had for a couple seasons now, at least two where you, you, you know, I, I reflect on how they're doing things and what's going on behind closed doors and that we don't get to know anything. And that, that rubs people the wrong way when you're not winning. Like when you're, if you're winning every year, big 10 champs in the mix for the playoff and you have some secret formula that you don't want to let everybody just see and dissect and do what they want with, that's a different story. But when you can't get out of your own way and you have all these question marks and you go two and four last year and you haven't won anything of significance, it's just like, what, what are you doing? What do you, what, what secret sauce are you trying to keep everybody from seeing that's not even working? Uh, and, and yeah, I think you're right. I think it has, it has, it has worn on people, fans and media alike. Um, I mean, you, 
<laughs> you know, Zach used to make fun of you for it all the time, right? Michigan's going to win 10 or 11 or 12 games every season. And I don't think you're going to say that this year. I don't remember what you said last year, but I, I yeah, everybody's just kind of at this point where there the, it's what we talked about whenever it was several weeks ago, all, just so many question marks. I don't know how you could, I don't know how you could go into this year with this rosy, with this rosy view. I just really don't understand it for, you know, for the, the hardcore apologists, the Harbaugh supporters, the people who just, ah, just bleed maize and blue and can't take those glasses off that think there's going to be some miraculous turnaround this year. I, I don't know how you defend that angle. And I think you're, you're seeing that you're seeing that in what people are saying, what people are writing and what we're, to your point, what we're not hearing. I mean, that's not really that different. I mean, you know, Harbaugh's never let us in before, but you know, the, the little bit that does trickle out here and there for people who have some connections hasn't been, hasn't been overly optimistic. And I think that's, that's pretty telling. Well, Brandon, there were, uh, last week, Josh Gaddis spoke to the media, the co-offensive coordinator um, with, uh, with Sharon Moore. Uh, he was asked about, you know, coaching Sharon Moore says he has great chemistry. He's known him for a long time. Uh, we'll see how this works. I mean, this is this is not the first time Michigan has had uh, multiple coordinators uh, putting together the game plan and calling plays. They did this honestly early on in Jim Harbaugh's uh, career. They had a run game coordinator who was Tim Drevenel. They had a passing game coordinator who was uh, at first Judd Fish, and then um, uh, who was the other top Hamilton. Was it great? Uh, 2015 and 2016 were offenses that probably lived up to their potential. Everything since then has been no. Um, so will this work? I guess we'll see. I don't know. Is there like a, is there like a boss boss and it's Sharon more that calls it? Is it, you know, it, it, one of the other things I think that's really interesting about that, Brandon, is I want to get into some of the quotes that Josh Gaddis um, gave to the media. And one of the, one of them is um, I've got to do a better job of staying more consistent in, in situations when we get down in a game. Um, I got to do a better job. Uh, we got to do a better job as a team playing complementary football and making sure that we're not getting ourselves behind the chains, not putting our defense in bad positions and not getting behind the score early in games. And so he's talking about him uh, throughout this um, about being more consistent in his play calling. Like, I guess my concern is how do you, like, who is calling the play? Is it him? Is it Sharon? Is, is some of it. So how do you develop a consistency when you've got two coordinators uh, working together. And honestly, I don't have much confidence in Josh Gaddis finding it. He's had two years. He has looked completely in over his head for each of the two years. Um, they've gotten relatively little out of their offense. This past year was supposed to be his quarterback, his running back, his wide receivers. And I mean, they were a future offense in 2020. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, it's funny that he mentioned, he mentioned words there that they're doing like the opposite. You want all this consistency. You want continuity. You want complimentary football. And now you're sprinkling in all these new elements that weren't there last year. I mean, I don't know how, and I, I like everything about Sharon Moore. I mean, I, I know him personally. He started at central Michigan. I used to have connections with him when he was there. Love the dude as a, as a, as a human being. He seems like a great guy. The players seem to love him. I think he's really bright. He's, you know, in his mid thirties. So he's a young coach. He's kind of up and coming in the ranks. You know, what, what exactly is his role though? And how does he just suddenly start working right alongside with Josh Gaddis? And what does that mean? I don't know if we'll ever know that if they'll ever tell us like who, you know, who exactly does what, like, what does co-offensive coordinator mean? Does he call plays some of the times? Do they switch? I mean, what does that really mean? We don't know. We won't know, but that's, 
that's the opposite of consistency. That's the opposite of continuity. That's the opposite of, you know, improving on what they did last year and trying to get better. I just, it just doesn't seem, I mean, we've talked about this at, <laughs> at length, Mike, it just feels like almost every decision that was made in the off season with the hires and the shuffling, the deck chairs around a little bit, it just seems like hail Mary's like across the, like they're like Jim Harbaugh is just like, I got I got to think of something. I got to do something. I got to figure something out. And it's just, you know, hoping that these things work out and work well. And I, I do have quite a bit of faith in Sharon. I mean, there, he hasn't given us a reason not to believe that he's good at what he does. Um, I think Josh Gaddis has, I think he's, he's shown that he's struggled. Don't think you can really say that about Sharon as a tight ends coach necessarily, but I mean, maybe it'll help, but to me, it just looks like kind of counterproductive to what Gaddis is, is saying. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't add up to what he's saying needs to be done in my opinion. Well, and it's something you just said there, we now have enough proof in the pudding, right? We now have two years of the Josh Gaddis experiment. And I would say most people would agree that the two years of the Josh Gaddis experiment have been, uh, you know, if you give him a grade, I think last year you probably gave him a D. Uh, in 2019, you probably give him a C or a C plus. Um, you know, other than a couple of games stretch uh, late in 2019, it really wasn't very good. Um, they haven't gotten the most out of quarterbacks. They haven't gotten the most out of their skill players. They certainly haven't gotten the most out of their running backs. And Brandon, that was the other big comment from Josh Gaddis. He got asked about uh, the fact that they had, you know, four guys were playing on a consistent basis. Uh, Chris Evans, Blake Corn were getting snaps, uh, you know, um, Zach Charbonnet and Hassan Haskins. And he said, you know, the thing is, uh, we've learned this the hard way. No matter what you do, there's going to be something to question about it. Looking back on it, had one back played last year, the conversation would be, why didn't so-and-so and so-and-so play? You wasted that talent. Oh, man, I hate when coaches do this, right? Like they they project like, oh, well, the media is going to criticize us for something regardless of what we do. And that is utter, utter bullshit because <laughs> if, if Zach Charbonnet or Hassan Haskins Everybody in the media by like week four of the season was saying Hassan Haskins is their best running back. Like this is the guy who should be getting 20 to 25 carries per game. Hassan Haskins needs to be the guy. And yet they would still play four running backs. And Hassan Haskins wasn't getting the opportunities. And you and I discussed it. They only played like six games last year. Yeah. But if you have someone who goes out and rushes for 1,500 yards in a season projected over a course of 12 or 13 games, is anybody in the media, is any fan going, well, son of a bitch, that guy got 1,500 yards, but I wanted to see the number three back this year. That's the guy who I really want to see. Nobody's saying that. Nobody is saying that. And Josh Gavis used that as an excuse. We couldn't figure out. We were, we were screwing this up by not giving anybody a chance to get into rhythm. And instead of saying, like, accepting responsibility and saying, you know what, we didn't do the best job handling our own running backs, I'm just going to turn around and say, if I, went, if I did it the opposite way, you still would have criticized me. Like, Josh, no, that's not how this works. Like people don't just openly criticize for the sake of criticizing. They're criticizing when things don't go right. And this did not go right. That's I was that's the last thing you just said there is exactly what I was gonna say. And it's something that I get blasted about on Twitter all the time. You know, you just want to be negative to be negative. You're just hating on the team. I don't even know why you cover Michigan. It's clear you hate them. And like it couldn't be further from the truth. I I if it's good, I'll say it's good. If it's bad, I'm going to say it's bad. And that's the, that's the bottom line. I mean, look at all the coverage of the basketball team right now. It's all in positive light because they're doing really well. And Juwan's fun to cover and he's real and he speaks his mind and he says some stuff he probably shouldn't say sometimes. And he, I mean, like 
it's a, it's a, it's just such a night and day thing in covering those two programs. And I think you're exactly right. That is just such a weird cop-out thing to say. Um, Yes. If you, okay. If you give the ball to Hassan Haskins 30 times in a game and he finishes with 51 yards and doesn't score. Yeah. Then you're probably going to get criticized a little bit, but if, if, you know, there was, I can't remember which game it was, but there was, you know, the one that always sticks out to me was he had like Hassan Haskins had several carries. I think it was about 65 yards rushing on the drive punched it in for a touchdown. And then he was literally out of the game for like the next quarter and a half. Mm -hmm. Didn't carry it again for several possessions. And that, that just doesn't make any sense. Like there's no, I don't think there's anybody else in the country at any level of football that, that operates that way. And we, you know, he talked, he, I don't know if you're going to bring this up or not. So I might be stepping on your toes, but he talked about the averages and, you know, he thought we were, we had some positive plays, Michigan, carried the ball or rushed, rushed the ball for the sixth most yards per carry in the, in the big 10 and number 51 in the country. Like that's not good. That's not good enough. You know, you're in the, in the halfway point or the bottom half of the big 10 and outside of the top 50 nationally. Like if that's, if that's good enough, then he's, he's confused. I don't know what else to say. Like, that's not good enough. That's not what kind of, what kind of running attack Michigan needs or wants to have, especially when we don't know what's going on at quarterback. And especially when the quarterback play was inconsistent last year. I mean, he is right. Complimentary football helps when one thing works, it opens up other things and none of it was working. And so it just looked pretty bad all the way around, but yeah, the way he answers questions, he says a lot, he talks a lot, but doesn't really say that much. Um, and, and to answer that question like that is just really, it's just a cheap answer. I don't know how else to put it. It just doesn't, you, you can't have it like that, man. You can't, you can't say like, well, if I'd have done it this way, I'd have got chewed out too. Like, no, that's not true. Do it. If it's good, you're not going to get chewed out for no, for no reason. Like it's only, it, you're only going to get criticized if it's, if it's poor and it's been poor. That's why he's, been, that's probably why he's feeling that way. Yeah. I'm trying to find the Haskins, the Haskins game. Uh, Cause I do remember what you were talking about where he got it was a home game. I can't remember which one it was. I can't remember. Did they play oh. Illinois at home last year? No, they don't think they did. No, they did not. But think about this. I mean, against Wisconsin, Hassan Haskins ran the ball once. Once. For six yards. Uh, you know, that was a game where, now they didn't run a ton. They only got 19 rushes in the game. But Hassan Haskins, who was established himself as the best runner in the on the team, carried the ball one time. You know, I, I don't... I mean, I, I don't get that. I really don't understand that. Here's Hassan Haskins against uh, Penn State. It was a home game. It was late in the year. Uh, so Hassan Haskins got all this run in the first uh, first quarter, five-yard run, uh, then a three-yard run, a one-yard run, a 59-yard run, a four-yard run, a two-yard run for a touchdown. This was the last play um, of the, uh, the first quarter against Penn State. When did he touch the ball again? Well, not in the entire second quarter. That had to be it. That had to be that game. Yeah. So here we are, third quarter, first play of the third quarter. He's getting the ball again. Like, so he just had this great drive and he doesn't see the field again until the third quarter. Like it doesn't no, they they my biggest beef with Michigan over and over and over again is they just waste their talent. And there's rumors out there about a wide receiver looking to transfer. We don't need to speculate, you know, if it's this guy or that guy or whatnot. But, you know, 
you and I were huge fans going into 2020 season of Giles Jackson. Absolutely. Everything we saw out of him in 2019, uh, kick returns, punt returns, reverses. I mean, he is exactly the type of athlete that you want at Michigan, that you want in speed and space, that you put in positions where you get him the ball, you know, run down more like, you know, eight to 12 times a game in creative fashion, like they did with Devontae Smith in the national championship game for Alabama. You want to get this guy the ball in a ton of different ways. And Michigan just flat out didn't do anything with him in his, uh, in his sophomore year. And so how much faith do you have that they're going to come back and get the most out of these guys in 2021? I have like none. Yeah, no, I mean, in college, it, in college, it really needs to come down to whoever your best few players are. You, you just, you ride them into the ground. I mean, that, that, like that, that's what you do. I mean, I, I say that harshly, but like you mentioned Rondale Moore. I mean, like they, they try to get the ball to him as many humanly possible ways as you can. And yeah, it's a little different at Purdue. I mean, they don't, they don't get players like that that often. I mean, that's just, that's just a fact. Michigan's got a handful of guys who should be playmakers who should be able to turn routine plays into special plays and looking at the stats, Giles Jackson had two rush attempts on the season last year through six games Two, I mean, like why, why aren't you getting him the ball on reverses at least, a, at least that many times a game. And, and maybe that's a little bit skewed because they do do the push pass thing now where it's actually considered a, a pass instead of a run, but he, but still, I mean, two carries on the season. That's, that's not enough. Get him the ball more in more ways than that 15 catches on the season over the course of six games. Like, so, so he had 17 touches on offense last year over the course of seven of six games. That's insane. I mean, and, and he's just one of many. I mean, you can go back a couple of years. We've, we've, you know, we've beat the Donovan people's Jones horse to death. Um, just talking about the running backs, you know, what, what, what they were able, what they weren't able to do because they weren't allowed to get into rhythm or get any, you know, any semblance of, of multiple carries in any one game. Just strange. I don't, I don't know. I, I just really, and you know, when you ask them about stuff like that, they don't really give you much information about why or why not. It, it just, it's puzzling, man. I don't, I mean, I'm not sitting here saying that you or I could go out there and run the team better than they could, but it just doesn't make a lot of sense what they do from, from a very basic football level that Giles Jackson, arguably the most electric player on the team, because we've seen it touches the ball 17 times over the course of six games. That's, that's ridiculous. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, here's one more from Josh Gaddis, and then I'll we'll get off the, the Josh Gaddis uh, train. And it's a little bit ironic because he's talking about criticism, uh, and he's talking about the quarterback position, uh, and he's talking about Joe Milton from last year. And so Joe did a lot of good things, a lot of good things on the field. If anyone tries to deny that, then it's obvious that they didn't watch the games. There's good things they did. There's good things in his career. To harp on a young man about the negative, about the negative situations, Obviously, when you're not winning at all, it looks bad. It all falls on the coach field's laps. The quarterback is one of them. It falls on any other coach. I just think it's the criticism of the position. A lot of times when things aren't going well, you look to blame everything in that position from the outside eye. First of all, I don't love it when things I was like, if anyone tries to deny that he did good things, then it's, they, didn't, they didn't watch the games. Well, first of all, who is that? You know, If you've got someone specifically in the media who you're like, they just said that Joe Milton was a bum and he sucks. Like, first of all, nobody in the media does that because everybody's professional in the media and they don't just, you know, take pot shots at players. If you're talking about fans that were overly critical or celebrated when he decided to transfer, 
well then give me a break. I mean, every fan base has that, right? So, um, you know, that's idiotic if you're complaining about like teams criticizing the position. But to me, it's like, okay, I don't have any issue with Joe Milton. I have zero issue with Joe Milton. Like Joe Milton came out big 6'5", 250-pound dude who in his first game ran the ball and threw the ball well against Minnesota. And then going forward there, they didn't really have him as a runner. They didn't really, I mean, they couldn't find, here's a guy with a gigantic arm that they boasted about as his ability to throw the ball deep, his ability to have like, you know, he had this great relationship and chemistry with Ronnie Bell and they couldn't get into any type of rhythm whatsoever. Like, again, this is another spot where I, Josh, no one is upset with Joe Milton. Everybody's upset with you and Jim Harbaugh and the coaching staff that got, that took this guy, this chiseled physical specimen and got nothing out of him to the point where after the season ends, he, he realizes his best opportunity to play and to make it to the NFL is to go somewhere else and be coached by somebody else. Yeah. I mean, there's no question about it. I mean, and I've been, I've been higher on Joe Milton than most. I feel like I saw him in high school, you know, back when, when, all I did was cover recruiting. So I got to, I got to meet him a couple of times. I got to see him in person, see how big and strong he was, see how strong his arm was, see how big, good of an athlete he was at that size. You know, we heard reports about how well he was able to run. And then, like you just said, I I think there was, you know, some, some, uh, some reports that he was dealing with a little bit of an injury and that's why he wasn't used as a runner as much, but I, you know, I, is I mean, it's football. Like I, I don't see, you know, I don't, I don't see Ohio state telling Justin Fields, like, don't run. We're not, we're not running you anymore because like your your hands a little dinged up or you tweaked an ankle or you've got a stinger or whatever. Like it, it, I don't know, man. It just seems like Michigan's doing things in a lot of ways that other teams aren't. And I I've asked you this question before and it's salt in the wound and it's, it's hypothetical and it doesn't even need to be discussed probably, but what, what does Joe Milton do if he plays at Ohio state? Like really, I I feel like he would just be, and we're going to probably get a chance to see, he's going to go somewhere else. I don't know where it's going to be. You know, I don't know how much he'll play or what kind of team it'll be or what kind of offense he'll be in, but I wouldn't be surprised if he went somewhere else and looked pretty darn good because we've seen it before. We've seen that movie before. Brandon Peters has looked fine at Illinois. I mean, it's Illinois, they're not going to, you know, they're not going to be world beaters probably ever, but he's looked, he's looked serviceable. I think he's probably going to have a shot to try to play at the next level. Um, yeah, man, it's, it's another one of those head scratchers going all the way back to the very beginning of Jim Harbaugh's tenure, but well before Josh Gaddis was even part of the picture. Um, yeah. The quarterbacks do get criticized a lot, but it, it, it kind of comes with the territory. Same thing as we just said before, if you put him in a position to succeed, and he's not throwing for less than 180 yards a game and one-to-one touchdown-to-interception ratio and not running him and not playing to his strengths, there's going to be criticism, and I think it's warranted. And it's not on, it's not on Joe Milton. I don't think it is. I think it's on, the, it's on the people calling the plays and putting him in a position to look how he looked and for him to say what you, you, know, what you just outlined, like, I'm going somewhere else because this, this sucks here. I mean, like that's, that's ultimately what it came down to and what decision he made. Five games, Brandon. Five games, end of the 2015 season, Jake Rudock. That's what the quarterback position is still hanging its hat on going into year seven of the Jim Harbaugh era. Is five games with a grad transfer where the quarterback spot was really, really good and looked capable of competing for championships if you could replicate that five games. 
Everything else since then, you've got spot, you know, moments for Wilton Spade in 2016. You know, 2017 is a bit of a wash because of the injury situation, but you did have, you know, <laughs> as bad as he was, you know, John O'Corn had some success early on in his career, and then he got progressively worse. Shea Patterson, um, you know, early on in 2018, and then some moments in 2018, like regain stretch against Michigan State, Penn State, Wisconsin, but then got progressively worse in his career. Uh, you know, take any of the quarterbacks, Joe Milton, Dylan McCaffrey. I mean, where, where were these guys? And what, why didn't they blossom? Why didn't they turn into something? And so here we are, you know, and everybody's got the great hope in J.J. McCarthy um, or let's see what Kate McInerney can do again. But it's, you know, the, the best thing that Michigan has going forward going into 2021 is that Alan Bowman is coming in as a grad transfer, uh, as someone who has been coached somewhere else, um, has a lot of experience, has had some success and could be, the guy, but yeah, it's, it's a program that is just consistently on offense, consistently on offense on defense as much issue as I've had in the past with Don Brown. Um, you look at some of the guys that have gone on to kind of reach their potential. I mean, look at the defensive backfield. Like I do think Channing Stribling, I do think Delano Hill. I do think uh, DeMonte Thomas, Jordan Lewis, certainly. Um, I think a number of linebackers, Devin Bush, uh, you know, obviously, um, uh, Chase Winovich, you know, there's been a lot of guys that have reached potential, but offensively, if you were to take the last, the 50 guys that have played for Michigan, the 50 starters offensively that have played for Michigan under Jim Harbaugh, offensively, and you took all 50 and said, how many of those guys reached their full potential under Michigan? How many out of those 50 would say you did? And how many of those since 2000, since Jeff Fish left in 2016, until 16 have? Not a whole lot. Yeah, I think your list would be, and maybe maybe you just didn't say this. I don't know if you'd have any skill guys on there. You could probably slap some linemen on there. Offensive linemen have been have been decent, and a lot of them have been drafted, and several of them are playing in the NFL. Mm-hmm. But skill players would be would be a short list. It'd be a, it'd be a really short list. I mean, I don't, I don't know who, I mean, I'll ask you flat out who comes to mind for you skill player wise, skill player wise, probably someone who's on the team right now going into senior year, Ronnie Bell is about as close, but Nico Collins did not. Donovan Peoples Jones did not. Tariq Black did not. Hassan Haskin has a chance if they get, they break out of their, like we're going to play 17,000 running backs, but Zach Charbonnet did not. Chris Evans did not. Um, by the time he left Michigan, uh, Ben Mason did not. Nick Eubanks did not. Um, Jake Butt did early on in his career. Uh, Khalid Hill did early on in his career. Davion Smith did probably early on in his career. And again, that's what's so so crazy about it. And you have to ask a little bit, Raymond, is like, what is where? Why is the demarcation line after the 2016 season and going forward? Because guys in 2015 and 2016, Jake Rudock, even again, you want to make the case that Wilkins Spate was getting the most out of. His physical raw ability, you could you could argue that. J.U. Chasson and Amara Darbo getting their most out of their ability. And then 2017 came, and everything since then has been guys getting wasted. What has been the difference? Jim Harbaugh didn't recruit those guys. I mean, like that, you know, I I I don't think that's what it is. I, I actually don't think you know, when people throw the whole like he only did he only did well with Brady Hoax recruits. Like, I I just don't. I don't think that really has anything to do with it personally. I don't know. I don't know what the answer is to your question. I think it's a, it's a good question. Why have things been so drastically different since then? I also don't, 
I also don't like the, uh, you know, he's a different guy. You know, somebody, President Schlissel came down there and told him to clean oh. up his act. I, I, I think that's the lamest story, lamest storyline. I think there is a little bit of truth. We, you know, you and I have talked about this as well, a little bit of truth to maybe some, some self-reflection by Jim Harbaugh himself. Maybe a, maybe a, a discussion with his with his dad, but I, the fa- the the idea that somebody at Michigan came to him in his office or something and said you can't act that way is insane. Well, to that point too, I mean, suggesting that first of all, I know for a fact that Mark Schlissel never came to Jim Harbaugh and told him to tone down his act because Mark Schlissel doesn't pay attention to athletics that much, um, and then suggest that maybe Ward Manuel told Jim Harbaugh, Ward Manuel, who gets walked all over by Jim Harbaugh, who just weeks ago said that, hey, if Jim would have left, we didn't have a backup plan. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Yeah. Guys, I didn't come up with a backup plan in case Jim left us. Like, hey, 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 Ward, like, this is not something to, to openly boast about to the media. This means that when you learned nothing from the John Beeline experience when he left you, because you didn't have a backup plan yet, you fell kind of backwards into Juwan Howard and this has turned out to be you know great for Michigan but to sit there and go like oh I didn't have a backup plan if if Jim Harbaugh didn't come back to Michigan like so is that guy that guy's putting Jim Harbaugh in his place and telling Jim Harbaugh what not to do on the sidelines is that what we're supposed to believe Harbaugh has done everything he wanted to since he took this job or we think that some of it's been awesome but like the idea that somebody is checking him is is asinine. You think Stephen Ross or Donald R. Shepard or Al Glick, these guys who have given a lot of money to the university, have you ever met? Like, I like all three of these gentlemen, but um, Al Glick is this tiny little dude. He's, he's pretty old. He's like 80-something years old. Donald R. Shepard is this tiny little dude. Um, Stephen Ross, you know, is, is worth a billion dollars um, or more. He's probably worth like $5 billion. And But do you think Stephen Ross like walked in and said, all right, Jim, I'm going to give you a hundred million bucks, but only if you tamper down, because I don't like to see all this energy on the side. I don't you like better to see not, go crazy. You better not get any more unsportsmanlike. Yeah. If you I do mean, that, I'm pulling the hundred million dollars away from you. Hilarious. I mean, it's just, the, at the end of the day, what happens with conspiracy theories is people want to believe conspiracy theories because they don't want to look in the eye exactly what's in front of them. And what's in front of them is a coach who's not getting their job done on a consistent basis and has greatly, greatly disappointed compared to every expectation prior to, you know, every expectation that you had for him when he first arrived that he built himself into. And so instead of saying like, wow, I mean, that's the problem, you know, right in front of me, that brick wall, that obstacle that's right in front of me, the tree that just grew up, uh, that's unrooting my house. Like that's the problem. Okay. It's not the rain coming down. It's not the lightning storm. It's not the hail. Literally, there's a tree with a root that's going up in my house and blowing everything up. That's the problem. That's what I've got to fix. Yeah. That's where yeah. Michigan football fans are. They just don't want to admit it. Yeah. It's in, I mean, yeah. And it, it, it is. It's just a strange, it's a strange phenomenon that people cling to. That that's, that's the reason. That's the reason why Jim Harbaugh has fallen short. Somebody handcuffed him, told him not to do this. It's not what happened. It's just, it's so painfully obvious for anybody who wants to look at the actual issue, like you just said, but yeah. So long answer to your original question. Why is that the line? I, I don't know. I, I don't know. And it's, you know, Michigan was right there on the doorstep in 2016. And since then they can't even see the door. I mean, it just, it's really, it's weird how that's happened. 
and uh you know and jim harbaugh has has i mean to to his credit i guess we could say to his credit he had he has tried a lot of different things a lot of different combinations a lot of different coaches a lot of people have come and gone changes in changes in scheme changes in philosophy new guys calling the plays this two-person approach, this one-person approach, two two offensive line coaches, one offensive line coach, experienced guys, inexperienced guys, young guys, different races. I mean, he's he's dude, he's tried a lot of stuff. There and, seems to be what you're saying though is there seems to be one constant. What is that? What's that constant? I know, man. I know. I mean, at that at and that's why there are these things called contract extensions, and that's why. Normally you don't get one after all of that, when you've tried everything and you're still falling, coming up short of what you're <sighs> Mike, how, like how many times can we have this conversation? You know who's not coming up short. Juwan Howard. He's not. Let's let's circle back. Let's circle back. Uh, do you think there's you... any, do you think Jim Harbaugh is resentment resents John like a little bit? He'll never say that in a million years, but I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, and this is, and I'm going to try my damnedest to be better on Twitter in football season next year, because I've had, I, I teach at Michigan. I have a couple of students who play for the football team. And one of them said to me, like, hey, Mr. Spath, you're way nicer to the basketball team on Twitter than you are to the football team. <laughs> and I said to him, I said, you know, that's fair. That's a, that's a, a, a fair criticism of me. And I said, I'll be honest, the football team, and Jim Harbaugh disappoint me and the basketball team consistently does not disappoint me. But I think it's fair to say that we're harder on the football team. So as he's sitting there going like Juwan gets everything, Juwan gets like the best, the best Juwan gets like, you know, everybody gives him the benefit of the doubt. I mean, maybe, but Juwan won a big 10 title in year two and Juwan's going to the sweet 16 and Juwan has a chance to compete for a national championship. And he gets the most out of Austin Davis and he gets the most out of Eli Brooks and Sean day Brown and, and all these different guys. And so, you know, if he's, if he is resentful, he should be resentful only because he's put himself in that type of situation. And, you know, you can get an argument of like, what's harder to win. If it's harder to win in football, harder to win in basketball and, and, and all this, but, you know, all I'll say is that when Jim Harbaugh walked into the Michigan situation, he was not as far, he was not as far behind Ohio state as he is now. Certainly when Juwan walked into the Michigan situation for basketball, Michigan it wasn't like they were far behind Michigan state. Like John Beeline had been running this program and running it really, really well. So, you know, he inherited something better than Jim did, but the gap wasn't astronomical between Michigan and Ohio state in 2015. It's gotten wider and wider and it's gotten wider on Jim Harbaugh's, uh, you know, tenure here. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it is. It's it's not apples to apples. It's not. But I I just see, I see that argument a lot, and I and I also see that that correlation a lot, where people want to say like, look what Juwan's doing in year two versus what Jim Harbaugh, and then people will jump in and say, can't we just let Juwan have his moment? Why does Harbaugh always have to be brought into it? And like, he doesn't. But it's it's hard not to. It's hard not to think about both of them occurring at the same time. A lot of similarities. You just listed some. Yeah, basketball. The basketball program was in better shape, but it, but the football program hadn't been burned to the ground. There was talent. Brady Hoke was in over his head. He wasn't getting the job done, but there were a lot of guys that went on to the next level. It wasn't like Jim Harbaugh took over this you know cupboard that was bare. You know, both former players both had a ton of yeah. success. I mean, there's there's a reason why it gets compared the way that it does. I don't think it's unfair 
but I just, I just wonder, you know, I wonder what goes through, you know, what kind of conversations Jim Harbaugh is having with himself when you, you know, I mean, he sees it, he hears it and it, it is, it is an interesting, it is an interesting thing to talk about. And yes, Michigan football is Michigan football. It's, it's on a level that Michigan basketball will never reach. I mean, I, I have numbers from my website that prove it. I mean, Michigan, you know, was running through teams during the basketball season this year and I could write the most glowing Juwan Howard's the best. He's elite. He's amazing. He's perfect. He's this, he's that. And look at the numbers and then write a story. Jim Harbaugh picks his nose at, 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 uh, at at the ice cream store. And like, it's, it blows up. I mean, it's like, you know, the fan bases, the reach, the, the, just the, the overall scope of, of the two programs, they're not even close. So Jim Harbaugh is going to be under the microscope and he's going to be criticized, you know, at every turn when he's not doing what he's supposed to be doing. And, and again, it's, you know, I hate to make it personal, but you know, the way Juwan is with people and how he talks and how he is at a presser and how he, I, I don't know. It's, it's, uh, it's something that's going to continue to be talked about because Juwan's doing so well. And Jim just isn't, I mean, it, you know, you don't like it, change it. That's, that's all I would say. Don't like it, change it. Oh my gosh. Granted, that was like the best segue ever yeah. into talking about insurance. If you don't like your current insurance situation, change it. Maybe you, I, I always say something like this. Everybody already has insurance, but if you don't have an insurance guy or a girl, like you don't have someone that, um, you just have insurance. You don't have an agent. You don't have a, you don't have an advisor. You don't have a partner. You don't have someone who's looking out for your best interest. Uh, that's who I tell people like, Hey, I'm, I'm, that's what my goal is. That's what my role is. Like, I don't want to be more than, uh, I, I don't want to be just the guy who sells your insurance. I want to be the guy who's looking out for you. And today, um, you know, I was actually working on an insurance client, uh, ZN, ZNN, um, window washing, brand new company, a uh, young guy uh, wants to get in business for himself and needed to know, like, what are the things that I need to do? Like, how do I protect myself? What, why do I need general liability insurance? Why do I need property insurance? Well, you've got all this equipment and if someone breaks into your building and steals your equipment, you know, you've got to go out there and spend another five grand on equipment or you have insurance, you spend $250 a year for that insurance. And then someone breaks into your building or you have some type of thing. And guess what? You get that $5,000 back like that to, to pay for everything. Another client uh, put in solar panels. And this client wants to wants to install the solar panels themselves instead of just distributing the solar panels. Well, there's a lot of risk because solar panel installation, you're going up on roofs and roofs are angled. Most of them they are not flat roofs. And when you're talking about angles, you're not talking about even footing. And so you have people that fall off roofs. Uh, you have people that fall off ladders. And so it's a huge exposure and a risk. And so that's something we talked about. And we agree that maybe they just don't do the installation anymore. Maybe they continue to use third-party contractors. And so... You know, that's what our goal here at Captain Insurance Group is we're always looking out for your best interest, whether you sign with us or not. You know, I just had a friend of mine who has rental properties up on Lake Huron, and she came to me and said, can you help me out? And, you know, we went through the whole process, and her current company that she uses, they came back and said, hey, we don't want to lose your business. Um, we're going to give you a, a really good quote. And she ended up sticking with them. And I said, that's, the, that's great, because we want to see you end up with the best coverage, the best premium. But I also gave her some advice because there were a couple of things on that coverage that I wanted to see added to it. I wanted to see them uh, get some get some credit for for water backup, so right on the lake. And so if they have anything overflow, they need to get some water backup, you know. And so we discussed that a little bit. And so we're always looking out for your best interest, even Brandon Brown's. I'm looking out for Brandon Brown's best interest too. Uh, 
um, and his media liability, which I'm going to talk to Brandon about because he's such a mouthful and he's so critical that we got to watch out that someone doesn't sue him for being so obnoxious. So we want to make sure we're taking care of his media liability needs. If you have any questions about your insurance, feel free to reach out to me at mspath at kapnick.com. It's M-S-P-A-T-H at kapnick, K-A-P-N-I-C-K.com or just visit kapnick.com. First, first on the list to sue me might be Will Wade. Yeah. Did you go, go after him yesterday? Just because I, I, I had to, I had to fire off a couple. Like I, I, I normally try not to make it like that, but I just, I can't stand that dude. And like the fact that he, you know, like, like if he had beaten Michigan and ended their season and bounced Juwan Howard out of the tournament, knowing that he's just a, you know, a, habitual cheater and was caught red-handed and is somehow just still walking the sidelines like nothing happened. It's just crazy. So yeah, I took a couple shots at him. Brandon, to me, the moment that Kansas gets bounced, the moment LSU gets bounced, the moment that Arizona, which didn't even make the tournament this year, whenever those programs get bounced in the tournament, I am gleeful because to me, uh, Sean Miller, uh, Bill Self, and Will Wade you always thought that they were doing something. And then the reports came out, the Adidas reports, the FBI probes, which like literally just show that they're handing money, cash, you know, $100,000 to players. They still somehow have keep have kept their jobs. They still have somehow have not gotten in trouble. Like their programs haven't gotten in trouble against the NCAA, largely because the NCAA doesn't give a crap about anything. They needed their baby back. They needed their $800 million March Madness back. And so they weren't going to punish anybody this past year. And what else hasn't happened? They haven't won. So how bad do those guys suck at their jobs that they can cheat that badly and still not? I mean, Kansas just got blown out by USC. Killed them. Killed them. And then same, you know, Michigan down its best player handles LSU pretty. I mean, not they didn't handle them, but like that, you know, they won that game going away at the end. I mean, it wasn't like, you know, a a madness situation. And then you mentioned Arizona not even making the field. I mean, like, dude. Maybe it's time they get into something else. That's what I would suggest to him. Well, minus a couple of uh, Mike Smith turnovers, and I love Mike Smith, but he had a yeah. couple of bad turnovers late in the game. He doesn't have those bad turnovers. Michigan probably wins this, wins this game by 14 points. Instead, yeah. they won by eight. Um, and, Brandon, let me ask you this question. What was your – let's start with this. Who is your MVP of yesterday's uh, a round of 32, 86-78 win over LSU? I will go with Eli Brooks because mm-hmm. I think he – obviously him and Shondi Brown both had 21 points, both really, really stepped up, both hit a lot of clutch shots. I think I think Eli's were more timely. I think, you know, it looked like – I mean, LSU, Cam Thomas was not missing. You know, I think the, I think the lead got up to what, maybe eight or nine, ten even. I don't remember how much LSU was up by, but it was a decent amount early on. And if it weren't for Eli Brooks knocking down some shots and playing above, you know, I think he, he would he have 13 or 15 points in the first half. Um, then that game could have got away from Michigan. And, you know, they they have a really strong mental makeup. You can see that they don't really get rattled. That's, that's one of the, you know, one of the, one of the underrated and most important parts of this team is the strong mental makeup of those three senior guards, Eli Brooks, Mike Smith, Shawnee Brown, they don't, they don't let, they don't let things get out of control. They don't let skids happen. Their runs are going to happen. That's just the nature of basketball, but they don't let them, you know, they don't let a six point lead feel like a, or a six point deficit feel like a 12 point deficit. And then all of a sudden it is 12 or 15. That just doesn't really happen with them. Um, 
So I'll go with Eli. It's really close. And I mean, Sean D was making some great, you know, energy plays like he does some big rebounds as well. Eli had a couple of nice big boards too. So I, you're, you're not going to answer that question wrong, but I, I will go with Eli slightly just because of when he did his scoring and how important I think it was to, to keep that game close in the first half. So, I mean, I'm a huge Eli Brooks fan. Um, I think he is, you know, one of the more underrated players. And I know you and I were having this conversation, I believe, like, do, if you're Juwan Howard, do you, uh, it, it, with this opportunity to do the six year of eligibility, um, do you bring Eli Brooks back? Do you bring Mike Smith back? Do you bring Sean Day Brown back? I think you and I kind of agree that it sounds from what we're hearing that they might have an opportunity to bring one of those guys back because they will have the money to do so. Um, will they have the money to bring two of those guys back? Um, you know, it's not about having an open scholarship, but they do have to still pay for it. And, and that's where they're coming from. And then a little bit is like, hey, roster management, you bring all three of them back and you're bringing in this six person freshman class, you know, just Kayla Houston say like, well, hold on a second. I, would, I wasn't being sold that there were gonna be three guys in my position in front of me a little bit, right? But I do think that if you can bring, God, if you can bring Eli Brooks back, I mean, he's not gonna go play in the NBA. He's probably not gonna go play in Europe. Um, he's just not big enough, but man, is he such a, such a good three point shooter and such a good presence um, out of that floor. Well, I'm going to go with the other guy. I'm going to go with Sean Brown, the other guy that scored 21 points. And I'm going to tell you why, because Franz Wagner for the first 30 minutes of that game played, I don't want to say awful, but Franz Wagner was not Franz Wagner. He didn't play well defensively. He did get a couple of rebounds, but he wasn't playing well defensively. He was missing three pointers. He wasn't aggressive getting to the basket. He just was floating out there. And I give Juwan Howard a lot of credit. I looked it up. It was about 16 minutes. It was about the 16-minute mark of the second half. Juwan Howard benched Franz Wagner for seven straight minutes. That's probably, if you go through and look at the entire season, other than when he was in foul trouble, how many times has Franz Wagner sat out seven straight minutes in a game? I would argue zero times this year other than foul trouble. And he sat him for seven straight minutes. And he put Shawnee Brown in the game, and Shawnee Brown went off in that second half and had, you know, three pointers. He got to the basket. He played great defense, his hustle. Um, and then Brandon, maybe the, the biggest part, there were three times in that game uh, on, on Monday night where Michigan faced one and one situations and they came away with all six free throws. And two of them were from Sean Day Brown. He had four free throws. He made both and ones are one and ones. And one of them was Hunter Dickinson. And Sean Day Brown shoots, I don't know how, but he shoots 60% from the from the free throw line. I thought he would have been like an 80% shooter. So for me, that moment right there, he really kind of solidified things. So Shawnee Brown from, for, for that game was the MVP. And I got to think for Shawnee Brown, he's had a couple other really good games this year, but he's never done that. He hasn't had that since he's transferred to Michigan. But when you leave Wake Forest and you're envisioning an immensely opportunity, the whole thing, that's the moment right there that he is in his head. He's going like, I'm coming to Michigan to play in that type of game, have that type of performance. And they needed every one of those. Uh, well, I guess they didn't need every one of those 21 points. They needed like 14 of those 21 points. Yeah, he he spoke about that exact that exact thing last night. I don't know, Mike, if you paid any attention to it or not, but we the NCAA is handling all the media availabilities, and they're you know it's very strict. There's a lot of people in and out, so we get we get Juwan and we get one player after every game for 12 minutes. I mean, it's it's you know this is the limit. This is what we get. And yesterday we got Juwan and Eli, and then after that. Tom Wyrot, SID for basketball, emailed everybody in the media and said, I'm going to give you guys Sean D as well, just because he deserved it. He deserved a moment to speak about that, to talk about what he did. 
to talk about his journey. And he mentioned, you know, getting text messages from his mom and dad. And, you know, they told him like, this is, this is why you transferred. This is why you left Wake Forest because you wanted to win and you wanted to be a part of a winning team and you wanted to contribute to winning. And he did last night. I mean, you know, he was, he's got an awesome smile and he, he lit it up a few times in the media availability afterwards where you could just tell he was, he was floating man. And, and, and more power to him. He certainly earned it. He played his biggest game, his best game of the year. Um, you know, it, it's one of those things where I said, you, you have these, these experienced senior guards and guard play is key in, in the, in the tournament. And Michigan is really strong at the guard guard spots with those, with those two guys and Mike Smith. And uh, yeah, just awesome to see Shondi do that. And they needed it. And like you said, maybe not all 21, but you know, certainly every, every ounce of energy he poured into that game last night, they needed, and he was a big reason why they were able to, to, to win going away a little bit in the second half. Cause it was, it was close. It was really close for, for what, I don't know, 36 minutes, probably um, well, back I mean, and Cameron, forth. Yeah. And in that first half, Cameron Thomas and Javante Smart were taking like off balance, one footer leaning into shots and they were making them. And I mean, yeah. when they had, I think they had like 20 points in the first, like four minutes of the game almost. And I was texting my brother and I'm like, this is utter garbage, man. Like this, they are hitting every shot. Like we're going to get run out of this gym. This is, you know, this stinks because I don't think we're playing that bad. And then Michigan turned it on and was able to get going. And I said it yesterday on uh, social media. This was, this was really a team win because as, as, as much as Franz Wagner struggled, down the stretch he had seven points, seven big points for Michigan. Finished with 15, um, had his typical rebounding effort, seven rebounds, two assists. Uh, had a block. He certainly altered a lot of shots with his length in the uh, in the post. So did Hunter Dickinson. Altered a lot of shots. He finished with 11 rebounds. I liked his aggressiveness on the boards. Brandon Johns played well. Austin Davis gave him a couple of minutes that they needed. Terrence Williams had one of his better games that he's played. Um, you know, even Mike Smith, who struggled a little bit, I think, with the quickness and a little bit with the size of LSU. I mean, he had five important points, including a huge three-pointer. Did finish the game with six assists. This was a total team win. But, Brandon, as we look forward, Michigan will play Florida State um, in about a week. They play on Sunday. And just considering the term overall, what else is your – what's your biggest takeaway from Michigan's first two games and what it means for uh, their chance to, to move forward here? Yeah, I think I've hit on it a couple of times, the, the guard leadership and what they're able to do and the, the, the calming effect that those three guys have. You never feel – and, and to, to the point you made earlier, those, those turnovers from Mike Smith down the stretch are just like – what, like, what is he doing? He never does that. Like, why did that happen? And in that's the tournament. I mean, that's just, that's the tournament. That's what happens, but that's not typical. You're not going to see that out of Mike Smith. You're not going to see that out of Sean D Brown. You're not going to see that out of Eli Brooks. And you know, that's huge as these games get, get tighter and tighter and the teams get better. You can't one of those little mistakes in either direction. And that's, that's the team that loses. Luckily Michigan was able to weather that and they had a little bit of a lead built up, but you know, when you're up one and you do that, it's a much different ball game. So I think that's key. Um, I, you know, Hunter Dickinson still is going to be a problem for everybody that they face. I know he, uh, you know, he hasn't been, he, he's, he's been good. He hasn't been great. He hasn't been as good as he could be, I think. And, and yeah, I, Franz Wagner just needs to be a little bit more consistent. I mean, he is, you know, as unstoppable as anybody in the country, I think when he goes to the basket, he's been shooting the ball a little bit better. He can certainly defend. His rebounding is always there, as you said. He had a tough matchup yesterday against Trenton Watford, another 6'9 athletic guy. He's going to play in the league. 
um, can do a little bit of everything like Wagner can and Florida state has some dudes like that too. So he's going to have to, he's going to have to step it up and, and, and show why he's being projected as a potential, you know, I don't know, some places, top 15, top 10 pick, maybe, I don't know if he's quite on the lottery level, but he's, he's close. He's in that, he's in that top 10, top 15 discussion, at least on most mocks. Um, it just shows me that the team's still pretty darn good, even without Isaiah Livers. I mean, he's arguably the best player on the team. You take him off, and they're still in the Sweet 16. I mean, there are guys who can play. I think getting some minutes for those freshmen is big in case they're called upon. You mentioned Terrence Williams. Didn't see Zeb Jackson yesterday, but he, you know, hell of a moment for him in round one to step back and hit a couple threes, even though that's not really his game. Um, I think I just listed every single thing about the team right now. But- it, it just it shows the balance. It shows how good they are from one through nine or ten. You can count on several guys that haven't even played a ton of minutes like Terrence Williams, like Zeb Jackson, like Austin Davis. Um, it's really going to be another team is going to have to shut off three or four parts of Michigan's team every night because we've seen you shut these two off, then these two step up, or you shut this one off and this guy steps up, and there's several guys who can do that. So. I'm encouraged. I'm encouraged. You know, I wouldn't have been surprised at all if they had lost the LSU last night. They've got some really talented guys and it is win or go home for everybody. So everybody is going to give their best shot, but I think they can beat Florida state too. I really do. And I I probably will pick them to win that game based on how they looked last night. I'll absolutely pick them to beat Florida state. Um, You know, once they get, if they get past that and they're playing Alabama to go to the final four, Alabama's looked really convincing. They had, they finished off a big 10 team number eight last night in, um, essentially mercy ruled Maryland um, in the second half. You know what, I, my, my biggest takeaways, Brandon, are there's so much panic after the Big Ten tournament. Michigan loses to Ohio State. There's panic after the way the season ended. They lost you know, to, to Michigan State and Illinois two out of the last three games. They always say that the NCAA tournament is like a reset button. Like, and it, it, You don't have to be the hottest team coming in because Illinois was the hottest team coming in. They got bounced in round two. What you've got to do is you've got to be able to play your best um, in every single game, and you've got to be able to neutralize what another team does well. And Michigan, in after about the 10-minute mark of the first half, was able to neutralize what LSU does really well, and that's run and gun. And they slowed it down, and they put that, that full-court pressure on, and they got physical, and LSU did not like, for as much as LSU gets its credit for having like all these great athletes and all that stuff, they didn't like the physicality that Michigan played with. They didn't like getting banged in the post as often as they did. Um, and so what I like about this Michigan team is they can play a lot of different styles. Mm-hmm. When you go forward here, it's not about like, well, Michigan's hot right now. So they're going to be able to carry that over to Florida state. No, they got to play their best on that particular day. And they got to, you know, what I like about Juwan and what I like about this coaching staff with Saudi Washington, Howard Isley, and the great Phil Martelli, um, is they've got a lot of experience and they have a lot of guys. Juwan Howard knows this from being in the NBA. Like you don't have you know, four days between games to sit there and go like, okay, how do I figure out how to, you know, what do we need to do to neutralize this opponent now? You have one game, one day, sometimes you're playing back-to-back nights and you've got to figure out like, okay, what do I got to do? How do I get my team prepared? How do I take this person out? How do I take away that their best thing? And so I think he, an underrated skill of Juwan is kind of adapting to uh, his defense and his offense to what we need to do to win this particular game. So he's very John Beeline. Um, light in that approach and so i'm excited i think michigan wins this game against florida state and then we'll see where we're at i mean if 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 it's michigan alabama which this is interesting to me is michigan's region is the only region where the one seed would have would would still have an opportunity to face the two seed um to go to the final four in the gonzaga one the two seed is gone 
Um, in the in the Baylor one, the two seed is gone. Um, in the one bracket, I mean, there's not even a there's the the bracket's chaos. There's not a one, a two. I'm sure. I'm sorry, sorry that Houston is the two seed. There's not the one, the three, the four, or the five. It's like a two seed versus an eleven seed. Another one is the eight versus like ten or something like that. I mean, it's absolutely crazy. So Michigan's the only one that has the two remaining and the four remaining. So in theory, they do have the hardest road to the final four. If they get there, they're going to absolutely 100% earn it. Can they get there? Yeah, I think they can. I mean, I really do. I really think that they'll beat Florida State. We'll see about Alabama. Um, but I think that they're, they're going to do something special still. And as you and I said, I don't think they're getting Isaiah Liberty back. I don't think they're going to get them back to the final four if they get that far. But damn, man, how much fun would it be to extend this one more weekend to get to to get to Indianapolis? They're already kind of in Indianapolis, but I'm not put. I'm not. I'm not pulling any like this team can't do it. You know, a lot of people were coming out after the Texas Southern game or saying like, "Well, they play this way, they're out of it" or something like that. It's it's game to game, man. You got to play your best. And with Eli Brooks and those experienced seniors and. Uh, Franz and, and Sean Day Brown. I mean, they've got a chance to really do something special here. I'm very, very excited about uh, the rest of the tournament. I, th- I, I will say, I think if they make it to the final four, I think Livers comes back and plays. I do. I mm-hmm. think he's going to have some heroic, you know, entrance. I don't know if, he, like we've talked about, I don't know, you know, how good he would be. I mean, I think in terms of like structurally, I think you can do more damage playing on that, but I think it really is just playing through the pain in terms of actually being able to play. I don't think it's the smartest decision because I think you can make it worse, but I just the way the last two years have gone for him, it just sucks so bad. I just feel like he would be like, let me just go, let me just at least say I played and maybe he can contribute and maybe it's feeling better enough, you know, good enough by then. I don't think we'll see him this weekend. I don't think there's any chance actually, but I think if they make it to the final four, and they're going to have an actual push for a national championship run. Yeah, you might try to suit suit back up. I would not be surprised by that development. That would be really cool. That would be really cool. You can read his stuff at WolverineDigest.com. Follow him on Twitter at BSB underscore Wolverine. You can follow me on Twitter at Michael Spath ITH um, or at Stadium Main Pod. Um, we come out uh, usually twice every week. We try for three times. Sometimes it's just once. We all have um day jobs but uh, we're gonna try to be more consistent um certainly during football season we come out uh, three times three times a week and i've got a fun project i'm working on uh in addition to the day job in addition to the teaching job something else um that hopefully we'll be able to announce here uh fairly soon i'm excited about that so appreciate all of our well listeners i hope you're having a great week i was gonna say tuesday but you might be listening to this on wednesday or thursday or friday uh, and enjoy the second weekend of the NCAA tournament. And uh, all, all, you know, all hope, all uh, good thoughts, all karma uh, that Michigan continues to, uh, to move on.